Welcome uh, to our last man in class. Good to see you. Um, let's pray. Just want to name. I've been up since 1.30, unable to sleep. So I'm a little, I'm really tired today. Um, and I'm feeling that, so I'm going to ask the Lord for help. God, uh, thanks for... Uh, this class, this season of Lent, to listen and be attentive to areas that we need to address. And thank you for the grace you've given us up till now and even today, Lord. Uh, be with us, we pray. I pray for help, for focus and clarity, energy. Uh, you would just uh, quiet my own inner narrative of grumbling. Um, God, you give us more than enough, and I pray it would be manifest here. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, it's really bright. Let me turn down that. Okay, so today, here's what I want to do. I want, actually want to look at, I don't have time to teach the texts from our lectionary today, because um, we've got a few other things to do in our service. So I'd actually like to take a look at our gospel text, which is from Matthew 25, and our epistle text, which is from James 5, together, and then also look through the book of James, uh, because James has a lot to say about rich people or the wealthy. And uh, I, would, I want us to make some observations on what we notice and what questions we have. Sound good? And then uh, we can pull in some of the articles that were assigned for today as we do that. So, uh, who would like to take James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6? Sylvia? Great. Read James 5, 1 through 6 in the message. That's perfect. Um, and then there's some other texts in James I want to read alongside that. So, can I have somebody read James 1, 10, and 11? Brian? Great. How about James 2, 1 through 7? Isaiah, great. James 4. James 4, 13 through 17. Nancy, great. All right. Let's do this. Let's start chapter 1, 10, 11, then 2, 1 through 7, then 4, 13 through 17. And then, and then Sylvia will get to uh, a little Eugene at the end. Uh, again, we're going to read, we're listening for what do we notice about who James is talking about and what questions do we have about these people? Make sense? Cool. All right. Who's got one again? Go for it, Ryan. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower fail, falls and its beauty perishes. It is the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. All right. Who has uh, chapter two? All right. One through seven? Uh, uh, I think so. Okay. Uh, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious... Lord Jesus, uh, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. 
and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Well, no, no, you know, you know what I mean. Good, good job reading. Uh, did you have four? James 4, 13 to 17. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. All right. All right. I'm coming, Sylvia. All right. Read us uh, James 5, 1 through 6. Okay. The subtitle is Destroying Your Life from Within. And a final word to you, arrogant rich. Take some lessons in lament. You'll need buckets for the tears when the crash comes upon you. Your money is corrupt and your fine clothes stink. You greedy, your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. You thought you were piling up wealth. What you've piled up is judgment. All the workers you've exploited and cheated cry out for judgment. The groans of the workers you used and abused are roar in the ears of the master avenger. You've looted the earth and lived it up, but all you have to show for it is a fatter than usual corpse. In fact, what you've done is condemn and murder perfectly good persons who stand there and take it. Thank you, Eugene. Oof. All right, so the two questions then, hey, Pitsis. The two questions then are, what did you notice? What stood out to you? What do you want to name? And then what questions does that leave you with? What was the last, uh, what was the, yeah. The address, yeah. James 5, 1 through 6. Yeah, Ben. Yeah. yeah. You see the context, I think it's, and that's very interesting for later on in the session, something I can think about. Like, relatively speaking, what makes one the wealthy or the rich? Or well, what, what does he say about that? What do they do? What do the wealthy do? Okay, wait, they, yes. They use the power of the state to hurt people. They drag you to court. What else do they do? Yes, they hoard or accumulate. Yep. 
workers. Right. They don't pay their workers, which insinuates then what positively about them. They, they have their employers. They own land. The, the example there is they own land. The other example is when they travel to do business. So they're, these, are, these are powerful, really wealthy people who travel and trade, but also own big pieces of property and employ laborers. It's important to name that like today for us, there's this huge group of people this applies to, right? But in James's day, like 95% of the people alive, this didn't apply to. And then you had like, especially in Jerusalem, another two to 3% that were the priestly class, the Sadducees, things like that, which also didn't have land and travel. So James is talking about, I would suggest, a, the uh, executives of corporations. People that have power socially and politically and that have a lot of, that hire a lot of people and pay a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's an arrogance that they trade on. I'm going to go do this. Basically, they they position themselves as sovereign in a way. And and in, in chapter one, I think, uh, there seems to be the temptation of the poor person to accept that. Like they have more, they have more honor, they have more status. We should be partial to them. Right? And James is saying, no, that's not what's honorable. That, that's status in the world, but that's not, not so among you. Yeah, Jeff. So you're saying these people are not us, so we don't need to be concerned about this. <laughs> I think it's important for us to get as clear as possible who James is talking about so that we know what does this mean for us. That's what I think. James could be talking about us in the first chapter. If us are leaders of the church who view parishioners or members of the church differently because of the income potential or the check they write, uh, and then giving maybe not the rich the best seat at the top left, and maybe the strongest voice leader on the best street at the best here, or maybe even like this. I mean, the single text, I don't really like this. I'm not, you know. So I think that applies to a lot of the church. Yes. Yeah. So this is the work then of getting clear about who James is talking about, 
letting James talk to those people, and then doing the work of what does this mean for us? Do we do these kinds of things? And how do we then translate it? The work I want to do, though, is there's other texts that James talks about uh, inequalities and wealth and stuff. These are kind of the main ones. There's a few others I left out. But in general, I think there is a tendency for like affluent Westerners to see rich people referred to in James and just assume he's talking about me. And there are some affluent Westerners that James is talking about. But I think the vast majority of us, we have to do more translation work than just to drag and drop. Well, I guess I'm going to hell. I guess my savings account is going to like eat my flesh like fire. I think we have to do a little more translation work before we do that. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this in the sermon, but one way to talk about this is One way to talk about the poor today would be people who make minimum wage. Let's just use that as like a, maybe the middle class of the poor, <laughs> right? Um, and they make $15,000 a year if they work 40 hours a week at 725 now. Uh, let's say your medium household income for the table, let's just say the table's medium household income is $75,000. Some of you would be like, dear Lord, that'd be nice. <laughs> and some of you might be like, how could we, you know, we could not pay our mortgage. You know, let's just say 75K. That means we make four times as much as a minimum wage earner. Track with me? Five times as much. Three hours of sleep. I can do this. Five times as much, right? Um, a Fortune 500 company CEO makes 300 times what their average worker makes. So I want to do two things. I want us to have the conviction we need to have about how to live faithfully with our wealth. But here's the scandalous, this may be the most scandalous thing I've ever said. I know some of you have known me a long time. I may call BS on that. <laughs> I, I actually think, so think about this. Five to one over here. 300 to one over here, okay? Just think about that for a second. I wanna suggest that one of the ways we oppose mammon is we actually see that we have some solidarity with the minimum wage earner. That we are, what? Hundreds of times closer to their plight than the plight of Elon Musk. Now, both of them have plights. And one of the ways that, one of the ways that we can conspire for the kingdom and confront mammon is to take seriously that mammon sucks for us too. I was talking to a friend yesterday uh, who was wrestling with, they're wrestling with their 401k accounts. And am I investing in companies that are, that are so anyway, this is one of the things I hope our listening groups, we can get at together. Um, but I, I just said to her, I said, uh, they're a single family, single income family. Um, I think their income is probably more median for our church because we have a lot of single income families in our church. 
And I said, if you lost your job, how many weeks could you go before you, you had to sell your house and get public assistance? And she was like, four to six. And I, I want to suggest that I would be shocked if less than half of us weren't in that position. So more than half of us, I think, are weeks away from being destitute because we are, we, are, we are trading our time for money in a system that we have to keep working. Most of us aren't making money off residual income, right? I own a big piece of property and 300 workers make me money off of it. Most of us aren't in that place. So what does it mean then to begin to think about without disparaging the poor, this isn't a woe is me, I'm middle class, but maybe I have more in common with the poor than I do the rich. And what does it mean for me to take that seriously? All right, that could be the most scandalous thing I've ever said, but I do want some conversation around that and, and thoughts you have or questions you have about that. works if you're taking a minimum wage earner in the states as your baseline, but I'm curious how that works if you take um, more, I don't know, a more global, if you're including the global south in that calculus, because yeah. that seems to catapult uh, even people who are minimum wage or below in America into the wealthy category, at least in terms of standard of living and safety nets that exist. Jessica, uh, Leia very um, helpfully says, okay, but even the minimum wage earners in America are more wealthy than like 3 billion people in the world. So what do we, what do, we do about that? Uh, I'm going to say more about that. Actually, uh, Josie and Mallory are going to say more about that uh, in our service today. Because... This is, one of the, this is one of the reasons opposing mammon is so difficult is because we're tied into this global thing that we can't even see, right? So like if, if Leia, if we're sitting around a table and I'm eating and you're like fainting for hunger, like I can slide you some food, but we've built a table that's so big we can't see across it. It's really difficult for us to get perspective like that. Um, but I do think one of the things it does is uh, I, I still want to suggest even if somebody's salary is zero, we have more in common with that person than we do a Fortune 500 CEO. Meaning, meaning the system is hurting us too, and we can stand in solidarity with that person and seek their justice. That's what I mean by that. Not like woe is me. But I mean, like, when push comes to shove, the system isn't really working for me either. I, I suppose that I see that, but also having lived in places that are um, where poverty is much more visible, like, I've felt the distance between myself and people who live much closer to having nothing. And, like, 
I know that I don't know what that is, yeah. having been closer to it. Yeah. And so I guess I don't know what being a Fortune 500 CEO is either, but I don't know, it's still kind of, yeah. I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't, good. I don't, I think there is similarity and dissimilarity. And I want to hold, I think I'm more in touch with my dissimilarity, mm -hmm. like what you're talking, what you're naming. Mm -hmm. And I'm increasingly convicted about my similarity. And I want to figure out how to hold those together. So I'm, I don't want to replace one with the other, mm -hmm. but I want to add one to the other mm -hmm. and hold it, hold it there. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. Yeah, Ben. Yeah, I think just adding on to that, it occurs to me that um, it occurs to me that one of the ways that BIM works, one of the ways it takes that observation that is very true uh, and sort of weaponizes it against all of us is to make us to sort of like throw us in line with the wealthy like to, to make us feel solidarity with the wealthy um, in a way that we really can't do anything about and really puts a lot of the responsibility on us that actually belongs on people who are actually very wealthy who run this system, who are you know managing it, basically like managing it to exploit the global south, right? I mean, this is NAFTA, this is all these trade agreements, this is all what that was for, the World Trade Organization, you know, IMF, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they're sort of like throwing us as Westerners, as, as Americans, like a few pennies of that, you know, relatively speaking, to say, hey, you're one of us, you know. And so we then incur this guilt, like, oh, shoot, I'm the wealthy. When in fact, I think a lot of good could come from us saying, no, actually, these are our people. The people that you're exploiting and then giving us a few pennies, like, no, you know, keep your pennies. We're going to fight for justice for these people. Does that make sense? So I think it's one of the unintended consequences of sort of recognizing of, of saying like, oh, we're the wealthy. Uh, I think we end up incurring more responsibility than we can actually do anything about. That makes sense. Like, I don't doubt that you're not intending this, but a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, over the last 15 years or whatever, the churches that I was raised in talked about that kind of thing a lot. And the work that it did in those contexts was it drew our attention away from the poor in our midst and allowed us to feel really good about sending like shoe boxes around the world for Christmas. And um, it's going to take a lot of shoe boxes to end world hunger and poverty. And so in, in that way, the work that it was doing was uh, getting us to disengage on a political level, like on a structural level and trying to do like, like, let me just throw this one starfish back in the ocean, which is like good, you know, good work. Let's send shoe boxes. Let's give people that can't eat food, but also how do we activate and engage at a structural level? And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot during this series is the nuance there that I observe, even just in nonprofits and the way that people activate and engage there but then vote against their own values and interests of what they're working for. I, my thoughts aren't all the way fluttered, <laughs> but I'm like struck by this new paradigm of this, like the shame of mammon. I feel more comfortable saying I'm wealthy than that I'm poor. And I wonder if like, I mean, I'm not poor, but saying that we closer identify with the poor in some capacities feels like anti what I've been told my whole life. And so even being able to submit to that idea is somewhat shameful for me. Like it, it incurs guilt 
of I shouldn't identify with them because I'm so separate. Mm -hmm. But I think even that is like the bad news of mammon is that I can't identify with my neighbor who is inhabiting space differently than me, even though I'm closer to them than Jeff Bezos. Like, I, it's interesting to me, like the, the little pings of like, it's wrong for you to do that, to identify with being closer to this side. Yeah. This is very intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I feel that too. So that's why I kind of preface the comment with like, this is the most scandalous thing I've ever said. Um, that's probably exaggeration, but it still feels scandalous to me just to say it. Yeah, Sylvia. Um, with the poor is freedom in a sense, because it does free us up from the guilt of, um, so, you know, we, I, we both started out in families that were probably lower middle in, well, you were lower middle income, I was poor. And, um, and I can really identify with the poor from a personal point of view, knowing what it means to not have water, go up to the Unity Church and steal their water in the early hours of the morning with a bucket, instead of asking for help. I mean, that's kind of what we did. And, um, you know, not having food. And, and so there's been part of me that has struggled to uh, not feel, feel guilty about rising above that. And so, so in some ways it's freedom that I can, I can still do that. But another way to identify with the poor is a child from a third world country and understanding what that child has gone through, what that third world country has is like, and then continuing to support children in the third world country so that they can have a better life, so that they can have clothes and they can go to school. And so out of our identifying with others, it should build a camaraderie with them. And I feel like, you know, when we get our reports on mostly little girls that we support, and, and that's a whole nother thing, little girls in third world countries are exploited. Um, we, we pray for them. We, we continually support them because we know what they could be facing. And, you know, I'm probably not going to go to the Philippines and try to do missionary work, but I can do that much. A little more scripture. Marilyn, you had your hand half raised. I don't want to. Are you? Okay, you didn't? No, okay. Um, <clears throat> this is part of what I wanted to like throw in for discussion. For me, the big takeaways are I have some complicity in the system that the wealthy James are talking about are responsible for but I'm not them. Let me say that again. I have some complicity in the system that the wealthy James are talking about have created and run. But, but with few exceptions, I'm not owning the land. I'm not doing those things that, of the people he's talking about. Isaiah? 
Yes, I'm just, um, I don't know, it strikes me that like Rich, as you're talking about it, like, I'm not sure it's like trying to figure out whether or not Rich per se is like, like, is, I'm not sure it's a Boolean value, sorry. Like, I'm not sure it's like a true or false value. Like, I'm not sure it's a, a switch that you like magic line you cross, you know? Like, it strikes me that what James is talking about and even what we've talked about in this whole class, it's like rich is like an intersectionality of things. And like, I mean, I think a lot of us in this room use the power of the state to oppress the poor. Um, I mean, it's, it's complicated in how much we're actively aware that we're doing it, but like we send our kids to, to private school. I mean, people create sub suburb corporations to avoid giving their money to, to like sharing their money with other people. And then, and then people go move there so that they can keep their money to themselves in the context of the power of the state. I'm not saying that like, we're all Jeff Bezos, you know what I mean? But like, I think it's, and that's just like two small examples, right? Yeah. But I think, I think, there, I don't know, the more I think about this, it's like, it's not like, have you crossed some magical like money amount mark? It's like, are you doing what the, are you doing what the rich do? The rich do things. Right. And are you that, are you those people? Right. And I think the answer is yes and no, like for almost all of us. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. I think I'm trying to say that. Um, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you necessarily. Yeah, but I don't, but again, this is the first time I've tried to articulate this, so I'm not sure I have the best language to say what you're saying, but I hear us saying similar things. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would say then, the way that I'm hearing all this is to say part of our then identifying with the poor is not to get us off the hook no. of these ways that we're doing what the rich do, it's to give us eyes to see how we're doing what the rich do, right? So once, once we start identifying with the poor and, and in solidarity with the then we can see, oh, my suburb corporation does this stuff. And oh, I have a voice. I could vote on this uh, resolution, right? Or I could, you know, maybe do something with, you know, we, it gives us eyes to see all the ways that maybe we've been asleep and just sort of participating, not unknowing, yeah. right? And so in, in my mind, I think that's, I think that's the, the, we all have relative, you know what I mean? Like nobody has the exact same amount of assets and money. Right, right. So it's a it's a sliding scale, but I think the what neoliberalism has done in general has created this false solidarity with those of us who don't you know have to worry about what to eat, with these uber wealthy people who are actually creating those conditions for millions of people around the globe, and they they've sort of lumped us in with them and say, hey, you're one of us, and we've sort of unknowingly said, oh, okay, we're one of you. So that's, that's in my mind what this solidarity with the poor can actually do for us to say, oh, there are ways that I participate in this oppression that maybe I could do something different. You know, I could do something different in this, in this case. Right. With areas I actually have power. Yeah. And to me, it's, an, it's, an, it's a hard issue and an a, um, understanding and a revelation issue of changing your values. So yeah. if you can't see that you're all connected with all of this, then you're not going to change. But one by one, you can release those things that, you know, when you see that um, in a corporation, well, like Spencer, you were talking about months ago, as a real estate person, you were noticing that your industry 
sets up the poor to not get the loans and not to get a home. And that's just a perfect example of your values changing and your understanding being clear and being able to be clear-sighted step-by-step. And I just think it's a process that um, as we're doing this class, we are becoming more aware of my 401k. You know, I've, what, what, what am I supporting? Yeah. Let me, let me add, let's, let me, let us add uh, a couple more texts into this. One is the Matthew 25 passage. Um, so could I get someone to read Matthew 25, 31 through 46? It's kind of long. Um, but still a lot of fun to read in public. Monty, thanks. And I'm going to read Isaiah 58 first. This isn't the lectionary reading that's paired today. Um, uh, and there's a long story about why that is. But I think this is important. Uh, Isaiah 58, to hear Matthew 25 and Isaiah 58 together. So uh, here, Isaiah 58. Shout loudly. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their crime, to the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day, desiring knowledge of my ways, like a nation that acted righteously, that didn't abandon their God. They ask me for righteous judgments, wanting to be close to God. Why do we fast and you don't see? Why afflict ourselves and you don't notice? Yet on your fast day, you do whatever you want and oppress all your workers. You quarrel and brawl, and then you fast. You hit each other violently with your fists. You shouldn't fast as you are doing today if you want to make your voice heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I choose? A day of self-affliction, of bending one's head like a reed, and of lying down in mourning clothes and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose? Releasing wicked restraints? Untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated, breaking every yoke. Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? And Isaiah says, then things will, then things will get, become a glory party for you. Okay. All right. Now let's read Matthew 25. The sheep and the goats passage, uh, all our, our favorites. And that's 34 through, the chapter. through 46, yeah. Okay. When he finally arrives, lazy and duty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you gave me food. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. And quickly we stopped the visit of was in prison. Then the sheep are going to say, Master, 
What are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I am telling you the solemn truth. Whatever you did, one of these things to someone of the love for your that was me. Then we'll turn the goats, the ones on the stuff, and say, Get out. Worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? Never see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison. He will answer them. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do those things to someone who's the director of Lord, that is me. Those goats will be herded to the eternal kingdom, but the sheep to the eternal kingdom. Word of the Lord. <laughs> All right, what did you notice and what questions? Do you have? Yeah, Joseph. This week I've been thinking a lot. Then I think of it when it introduces this quote. It's expands of heaven, every bush of fire with God. Yeah, he who sees takes off his shoes and the rest just sit around picking blackberries. And I was thinking about this past that quote this week, but it connects me with this passage because what I notice is like see God everywhere and in everyone. Right. And I feel like that's also what James is trying to call his brothers and sisters into is every person that comes in your myth is yeah. So that's what I know. One of the passages we didn't read in James is if you see a brother or sister hungry, don't say thoughts and prayers. <laughs> right? But give them something to eat. And this is, we talked about this the first week that we are having to work hard to rematerialize our faith. It is, it is enlightenment, modern, neoliberal phenomenon that there's something spiritual separate from here. That what really matters is internal. And, and what we hear over and over again is that there is no bifurcation between internal and external. That's an illusion. It's a social construct that, that actually is, I think, part of the regnancy of man. And we have to Oppose that in order to recover what you're saying and what Jesus is saying and what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah's like, don't, don't do this spiritual thing for me. Do justice. That's the fast I want. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mary Ellen. Also, in, in moments like that of seeing each of our brothers as, as Christ, Mammon warns us 
how did they get that way? You know, um, mm. you might be, if you give 10 bucks to a lady standing in the median when you get off the interstate, what is she going to do with that? And why is she asking? There's, there's so many messages, I feel like, in our society. Mm. You know, you might just be, you know, making this person continue their wayward ways. Um, and so that sometimes gets in our way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also the largeness of the problem, you know, giving a blanket to somebody homeless sleeping under um, an overpass, well, that's nothing. Well, maybe it is something, we don't know. Maybe there's a multiplication of that um, gift. Yeah. Yep. So I just, that notice, it just comes up in me. And yeah, Mary. I, yeah, I, I think uh, the, the thought came to me a couple of years ago, like I, I do consider a great deal what a homeless person is going to do with my $10 and the amount of harm or damage or evil they could do. But I give Chase tens of thousands of dollars and I don't ask that question at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? And, and chances are Chase can do a lot more damage and harm with yeah. 10 grand than that person can do with $10. Another observation about the shaking goats. Um, you all remember Keith Green? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like one of the first, uh, kind of when I got into music, I was to Keith Green a lot. And I, I just loved his kind of like prophetic uh, fire. And I used to love to listen to his song. You guys ever heard of his song based on those oh, passages? It's, uh, it's, it's quite good. It's a little angry. Yeah, it's a little angry. <laughs> he, he, was a, he, was a, he was an angry prophet. But, uh, <laughs> But I, I sort of appreciated the way that he poked kind of the bear of evangelicalism a little bit um, with this song. And I, I remember feeling actually personally quite convicted when I would listen to this because he, he, he narrates kind of in a funny way, this whole story. And then at the end, he just says, uh, and the only difference between the sheep and the goats, according to scripture, is what they did and didn't do. And that was the end of the song. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's to your materiality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't... How was your heart exposed to this? Yeah, one of the most discouraging things to the people working at Horizon House was the fact that people gave things to the homeless that enabled them to stay homeless. And so we have to be wise. Mm-hmm. We have to know what we're doing. Are we enabling? Are we enabling Chase to do different things in the world? Are we enabling this individual complete to stay caught in Drugs. So there's a great deal of wisdom that we need, and we need to probably know more. I feel like I need to know yeah. more about what I'm actually doing before I do it. Right. And is there, um, my motivation might be pure, but is the end result of my motivation? Yeah, great, Sylvia. Yeah, so this is one of the reasons why we want to extend this conversation in Eastertide with listening groups to actually do some of this work together. So take conviction, 
and discern it in community and run experiments and then debrief about it, right? Um, because one of the things that I notice about these two texts and others, these are just representative of a tradition of texts, is that Jesus isn't just saying, do good things and you'll go to heaven. That's not what's going on. Jesus is talking about righteousness, which is the same word as justice. God's kingdom. God's kingdom has a logic and a way it works. Right? This is why, for instance, Ananias and Sapphira was such a crazy violation. Because they were trying to do James 1 things. We want to trade on the status of being generous without actually being generous. This is a deep violation of how the kingdom works, the economy the kingdom wants to create. So what we see, I think, in Isaiah 58, Matthew 25, and other places is that these kinds of works are undoing the injustice that is keeping creation in bondage. And how do we do that wisely, right? How do we do that wisely? Well, that takes failure and listening, you know, discernment together. Yes. Here's something else I noticed too, friends. And this is in James's passage as well. Notice in, notice in James, like the wealthy aren't, the wealthy aren't condemned for owning land. They're condemned for what they do with it. Notice in Matthew 25 and in, in Isaiah 58, the sheep had to have clothes to give to the naked and food to give to the hungry. So I would, I would like for us to have some way of delineating between accumulating and hoarding and owning and possessing. Unless we figure out how to own and possess faithfully, we will vacillate between like this uh, unattainable rigid asceticism ideal and feeling like we're totally like, you know, uh, compromised because we own clothes. And I think there's an economy in the kingdom of God that gives us a way out of this like despair or rigid asceticism, and then feeling completely complicit, where we relearn how to own and possess according to the what I want to call the human economy of the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, good question. Um, I think that uh, it's it's an open question whether or not James thinks the wealthy are Christians. And I, I lean towards, no, he doesn't. Um, it's hard to think about, it's, it's possible, but it's hard to think about there's somebody in the church that James is writing to that's dragging poor people to court you know, or actively exploiting workers in the church. Like that's possible because we know the early church is pretty jacked up. 
But it seems like James, especially in five, seems to think that the people he's describing are honored and valued by the people in the church. The people in the church want to be them. And he's saying, no, 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 actually you have honor. You're blessed. These people, this is all going to burn up, right? In, in Matthew 25, uh, you know, the little ones is the, I don't know how Eugene translates it, but it's commonly translated as uh, the least of these, whatever you've done, the least of these, these little ones of mine. And, and traditionally that's held to be fellow brothers and sisters in the church. So, so this is another aspect of the economy that Jesus is seeking for us to organize our life around. So we aren't responsible for every naked person or every hungry person. That's another one of those like overwhelming par- paralyzed things, right? But there, there is there is within the local community people who have needs, people who are hungry or naked or in prison. By the way, we hear criminal. Remember, criminals were either killed or tortured. The people in prison were those in debt. Remember this. It's so hard because we use prisons for different purposes. If you stole something, your hand was chopped off, right? If you committed adultery, you were stoned, like those kinds of things. It was a punitive, retributive, immediate chastisement. People in prison were in debt. So visiting people, being with people who've been removed from their community because they are being crushed under economic injustice. Prison ministries are still great. Criminals need Jesus too. I'm just saying. So I don't know, Isaiah. I think the primary focus of James and Matthew, I think, is on the church. But it doesn't that doesn't answer the ethical question of how we were to relate to people outside the church. I think I think there's a logic though. The more I see how mammon works, is it orders and shapes our lives according to social constructs, like the one you mentioned. Mammon teaches us to say, are you going to drink this $10? But it doesn't teach us to say, are you going to fund the International Monetary Fund with this $10,000 and line the pockets of dictators that our government put into office and then leave this third world country on the hook? to pay compound interest on a debt they can never refund. Like we don't do that, right? Which, one's, which one causes more harm, right? So I think that's how mammon works. And we just don't, we can't see that. Like we don't have an imagination for even asking that question. But then when we do ask that question, we're like, oh yeah, I probably should ask that question. And I think, I think what Matthew 25 is doing is trying to create an imagination for this is how we work. This is how we work in this human economy in my kingdom, which is a little different. Yeah, Leah. Responding to your question, Isaiah, um, in the early church, at least like when you get to the fourth century, there is a movement toward reading those passages more generally. And the like the con- seems like 
one of the animating theological concerns, like who sees God, how do you see God? And so uh, seeing God in the poor becomes very important and um, not only for the responsibility it confers, but also for like the blessing it confers. Like this is a, this is a way to pursue the vision of God um, that all the lepers are in the city or all the people who are hungry. So it does get generalized in the tradition as well. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I partly asked the question because it's not clear to me in part because I've seen, I've definitely seen churches that sort of apply these passages always internally and then it just becomes like a bunch of like middle class to upper class white people. Sure. Church that I mean. um, look not themselves. <laughs> Which is like there's nothing wrong with taking care of like, like well, if they would come to our church, then it would help them. Right, right, right. It's like, well, Totally. Yeah. I, that's a good, yeah. It's a good caution. I think it's a misuse of these texts to exempt ourselves yeah. from the work you're talking about and insulate ourselves from those things, regardless of how, who primarily is being talked to or focused on. I think your question before Isaiah's question um, was how do we not fall into the ditch of asceticism or despair um, goes back to, or maybe the answer is part of one of your initial points of um, seeing ourselves more in solidarity with the poor. And maybe the answer lies there because there, when we get to know what it's actually like to make minimum wage and not be able to go to the doctor, we can actually gain an imagination for what to do. Yes. So I think that yes. that, that it, it seems difficult to identify with the poor and find solidarity, but maybe it's just listening and opening our eyes to experience. Um, maybe that's solidarity. Yeah, I mean, there's more to say about what solidarity of the poor looks like, but that's yeah. definitely it. And the, the other part of this that I haven't mentioned yet is that um, James and Matthew were poor. Probably, probably every writer of the scriptures, other than maybe Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, were people who were impoverished. So this is one of the things that our scriptures are unique in ancient literature is that it's being written from below. There's not some sort of wealthy courtesan uh, sponsoring this stuff. Even, even Luke, who may have had like a patron or a sponsor, I mean, he's a traveling missionary, itinerant missionary, not, not wealthy the way we think of wealthy. So having solidarity with the poor actually enables us to read these scriptures the way that to hear them the way that they were heard among the people who first heard them, you know, which is, it's just different for us. We don't, this is lear learning to see power. We don't typically think that poor people hear things differently than wealthy people, unless we're poor. And then we know, like really, like really poor. feel it. All right. Well, the end. <laughs> when half the class is left, you know it's time to end. <laughs>
uh, no, we got to get going. Um, let me pray for us. Lord, um, who can understand these things? Who, who can even uh, know um, your mind? But we do long to have uh, your perspective and your heart among us. We want to hold these unfathomable questions and unconscionable responses. We want to hold them in faith. Burden us, Lord, um, love and justice, we pray. Prepare us now for word and sacraments. We offer our church to you. Pray your kingdom would come among us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.